Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right, we're just a few weeks away from our first ever live edition of the Race F1 podcast on February 12th. So far, we've got a great venue, King's Place in London as part of Pod Live. We've got me to host, Scott Mitchell-Malm to give lengthy answers and a very special guest in Ted Kravitz. So, Ted... We've got to work out what we're going to talk about. What's there to look forward to in 2023 that we can get into in the live show, do you think? Let me start by telling you a story about Murray Walker. There you go. Good start. Um, He always used to say at the beginning of a season, you know, Formula One has an amazing ability of reinventing itself year by year. And I used to think it's a funny thing to say, but you know, the more I think about it, the more he's right. And even though we don't have new cars this year, right, slightly different with the race, bright height, blah, blah, new tyres, we do have so many other new things that are worth talking about. We've got new drivers, we've got rookies, it's more than one, a couple of rookies, and we've got new team bosses. That's what I'm also so looking forward to, to seeing how that's all going to work. And then, of course, we've got the small matter of the World Championship. Will we be, at the end of 2023, talking about Max Verstappen, a three-time world champion? There's loads of stuff to look forward to this season. And that's going to fill about 40 minutes of our 75 minutes. Scott, can your song and dance routine fill the rest? Um, it probably could if you would um, if you would unshackle me and just let me you know, have, have full uh, creative license on it. 
part of it for me that I think we can get into really nicely is the subjects of rivalries old and new because I would like to think we're going to see some familiar fights in 2023 but we're also going to see some new ones as well I'm really optimistic about that so I think that's a good subject for us to get into and obviously it won't just be us maybe we'll uh, have a few interesting insights from our audience as well well this is great the running order is coming together very very well I think we've got to have some kind of audience interaction we'll definitely have a few questions we'll have a few bits of feedback from the audience Ted do you know anyone who's handy with a microphone and who's good at doing a bit of broadcasting moving around because we could do with someone who could go out among the people well what are we February the 12th is it going to be warm enough for shorts yes of course it'll be warm enough for shorts I'll bring my pink shirt and my shorts on and I'll get down there with a the microphone and of course I think we should also hang around a bit at the end say hello to a few people will there be the chance Ted to give a few autographs definitely does anyone actually ask for autographs anymore but um, yeah no we can uh, we can go and meet everybody and say hello yeah, it's going to be great. All part of Sport Pod Live, live podcast festival. We're there on February the 12th. That's a Sunday. Nice early afternoon slot. So if you're an F1 fan, it's just going to be a great event to come to. Hopefully we've got so much to talk about. We're going to struggle to fit it all in. So to get your tickets, head to sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. That's sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. Get your tickets and we will see you there. The Athletic. The race is on, and every team is hoping for a step forward in 2023, but how are they going to achieve it? In each case, the challenge is a little different depending on where they are coming from. So what does each of the 10 teams need to improve, and how are they going to do it? I'm Ed Shaw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Ben Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, ben, welcome back. This is your first podcast appearance of the year. It is, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, why haven't you asked me before, Ed? Well, you just being very busy with various things going on in your life and our sister title WTF1 which you're you're doing some work with as well so busy for you yeah I've got a lot on my plate just moved house um, which is why I'm in this temporary uh, for those of you watching clips rather than listening on audio I've got a random background I've had to relocate because uh, getting internet transferred from one house to the other who knew it could be such a difficult process but uh, yeah I'm without internet in my new place so um I've had to relocate to my in-laws' house. It's all right. You just got to wait another three and a half weeks for it, and uh, it'll be in. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mid, mid mid car launch season, perfect. You know, that's absolutely absolutely ideal. Mark Hughes, how are you? Internet working in your world? Your house seems to be the same, so I guess you haven't moved. <laughs> yes, <laughs> internet's fine. I'm changing provider next week if we want to talk about that. But I think it's a bit dull now, so because you know Ben's covered it really. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, everything's fine here. I'm just uh, hoping that the uh, the internet doesn't cut out. Uh, having talked about it like that. Well, I can add some internet chat because I've upgraded my internet speed. So this is all very, very exciting for us. That's what we're here for. That's what the listeners are here for, guys. If you think, if you enjoy the podcast now, imagine how good it's going to be when everyone's got optimum internet. It's going to break all records. But let's get into it. We are going to talk about what each team needs to do, their kind of key area for improvement. So we're going to rotate round talk through the 10 teams in reverse championship order and really isolate where they need to improve. So Williams were last last year. Mark, where do Williams need to go? Well, yeah, by definition, they have the most to improve, don't they? James Fowles goes there as the, the new team principal and he's got quite a lot to, to wrap his arms around. Um, but the the most important thing at, at this stage would be getting everyone pulling in the same direction within what's reportedly quite a divided team. So 
you know, having the race team and the design team, the aero and the design, the production and the aero, the production and the race team, and also within those departments too. So that's Fowles' job to find out where where it needs to be uh, improved, where there may be sort of silos and competition between departments, within departments. Um, that's going to be where he can have the most immediate effect and that's a process, of course, but it, it probably requires some changes to uh, to initiate and for him to sort of get that message through and to sort of lead by example. And, and that's once only then really can you really get a, a – will he be able to really get a clearer picture of sort of the things of like where the investments needed, what what you know what 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 we what we're going to do with the wind tunnel. Um, do we need to recruit? Uh, do we need people in different places? All those sort of things come later. But the the, the culture is the the thing that really really needs to be addressed at Williams. I would say. Yeah, we can see a benefit in that immediately in terms of making the most of the performance they have got in the car and evolving it reasonably well as the season goes on. So that there is some low-hanging fruit to be found there. We talked about Williams at length on our last podcast, which is all about whether James Vowles is the right man to turn the team's fortunes around. So we won't talk about Williams too much. We'll move on to the ninth-place team, which was Alpha Tauri, which I'm going to have a bit of a look at. And I think Alpha Tauri's challenge could be summed up as simply just get the most out of the car. By that, I mean just ensure that car pace translates into the results it should. That's a target for everyone, but it's a team that has a habit of underachieving in recent years. Seventh fastest car last year on average, finished ninth. Fifth fastest car in 21, finished sixth. And even in 2020, it had the seventh fastest car, finished seventh, miles ahead of the three struggling teams. But even Ferrari was beatable for it that year. So that's their main objective obviously the car performance wasn't great last year they couldn't find consistent aero gains stuttering upgrade strategy as a result they want a more rolling upgrade approach but they still didn't make the most of the car reliability problems operational errors monaco was the one that really stands out where pierre gasly could easily have been best of the rest behind the ferrari and red bull drivers and therefore a podium possibly even a win with a spot-on strategy in that race could have been possible there but they got nothing because they didn't get gasly out into the queue after that red flag in qualifying quickly enough i think the big obstacle to achieving that is probably the driver lineup nick de Vries, rookie good debut last year but still inexperienced in f1 yuki sonoda as we discussed <laughs> recently could go either way really in terms of whether he thrives or tanks so there's a lot of question marks about this team and whether it can achieve those things but fundamentally it all comes down to just make the most of what you've got in the car yeah, and I think probably also they need to widen the operating window of that car a bit too. I think the drivers last year were complaining quite often about four-wheel sliding in high-speed corners, not enough load. I think the car was pretty decent low speed, as you mentioned, Monaco. I mean, you know, those things tally. Um, but I was interested to read over the winter um, yours and Mark's excellent reports analysing each team and their um, technical progress through through the year. And... Um, ranking the Alpha Tauri as possibly sixth or seventh fastest car. And that suggests to me that the drivers just weren't getting the most out of it as much as there were some limitations there. I think to your point, Ed, there's definitely question marks over how well the drivers were performing. And now that the lineup's changing, will Nick de Vries take that challenge up or will they continue to stagnate a little bit on that front? I'm not sure. 
Yeah, it certainly wasn't a car that was ideally suited to what Pierre Gasly needs. He can be stunningly quick when he's got the level of rear stability he needs and can really attack on turning. But yeah, it was uh, it was kind of that that mix of understeer and, and oversteer. Decent mechanical package, hence the slow speed performance, but struggled on high downforce tracks. So yeah, there's a lot there for AlphaTauri to improve and consistency is is one of those things. Should we move on to Haas now? What do you think of them, Ben? Well, uh, uh, with a team like Haas, I mean, there's so many things that you could point to. Um, the obvious things being, well, you know, they need to develop a car better through the year. Uh, they need more money, and, and which obviously they're working on quite hard. But those kind of things aren't going to happen overnight. I would, you're not, they're not going to suddenly turn into a top team throwing parts of the car. So for me, I think for Haas, they've got to, they're going to start every season with the best of what they've got, really. I expect them to be outdeveloped by most teams. So it's all about maximising the package at the start of the season and not letting any marginal opportunities to score points slip away. And I just felt last season the drivers, more so on one side, but just getting involved in too many costly incidents. Obviously, they were very unlucky with the the black and orange meatball flag debacle um, Kevin Magnussen particularly, but nevertheless, he did lose, he did retire from quite a few races, crash damage, had a few incidents. As a driver, if you're looking to improve, you've got to try and put yourself in positions where you don't come out on the wrong side of those those tough calls, those marginal incidents. Don't get involved in scrapes that potentially risk your race. Obviously, Mick Schumacher, two seasons of crashing far too often and too expensively, and that's really cost him his seat. And plugging Nico Hulkenberg into that team, I think, fixes that. It probably gives Kevin Magnussen a bit of a, a shot, you know, someone to to get more out of, push Magnussen harder, get more out of him from, from race to race, avoid some of those drop-offs. Uh, and also, I always felt Hulkenberg was kind of held back a bit by the the previous chewing gum Pirelli tyre era of Formula One. You know, he couldn't attack, maybe drive in his most natural way. And it was a shame he kind of fell off the grid as Formula One was going about this current revolution and trying to produce cars that drivers can attack more with. So um, hopefully we'll see the best of Hulkenberg and that will push Magnussen on and Haas will be able to make the most of what they produce at the start of the year because I imagine their car will be quicker at the start than it is at the end. Yeah, I think just as a generality, they need to... um just hook the good bits together better because, you know, at its peak, that was a pretty decent car they'd come up with and they didn't always access and access it. And whether that was a a function of the, the resources you talked about, Ben, maybe, or whether it's um, more to do with the, the, the driver performance or the inconsistencies brought about by the accidents and the, the, the you know, where, where the money was being spent, I don't know, but it, it, you know, at its peak, that car was capable of of being, you know, in in the in the hunt for best of the rest. But it could just as easily be on the back row of the grid. You know, so it, it, yeah, the, the, I think um, that inconsistency in performance is something obviously will be concerning them. It is an interesting team because they've got quite a good little technical operation that they've built up over the past few years under technical director Simone Resto. I've been quite impressed by some of the work they've done. So as that matures and evolves there should be the opportunity to have a car that's not only performing, but maybe a little bit more consistent as well, provided they operate it well. So I think Haas, people will tend to assume will be at the back, but I think they could be a pretty strong midfield force again this year. I'm not going to say they're going to be fourth in the championship or anything, but I think last year wasn't the one-off. It's not going to slip back to the weird performance of 2020 and 21. There were some very specific circumstances for that. 
I suppose the danger with Haas is they threw so much at the 2022 rules reset. And as Mark said, started with a car that was, you know, at its peak, very high performing, capable of getting a pole in the right circumstances. But how are they, with such a limited operation, going to trade off one year against the next? I can't see them starting this season as strongly as they started last season relative to the opposition. And as the rules mature, you would expect teams with greater resources, bigger technical teams, to just overhaul them in the development race. And that's my fear for Haas in terms of slipping back or maintaining their position near or at the front of the midfield. Yeah, that's a fair concern. They will hope that the fact that they didn't invest vast amounts in ongoing development of last year's car, one big upgrade in Hungary of the car, means that they will have been able to move on to next year's car. There's a few areas of weakness they've identified, the drag level of the car, for example. So, yeah, it's a valid concern, but they've at least tried to set themselves up to run those parallel programmes. But, yeah, this new technical team has not been tested in that regard at all. Should we move on to Aston Martin now, Mark? Yeah, and I mean, they've got a big challenge. I'd summarise it as ensuring the whole is as big as the sum of the parts because they've got, they've had all this big investment by Lawrence Stroll. They've now got all this high profile talent they've recruited from Mercedes, they've recruited from Red Bull. They've got Eric Blandon there as a deputy tech, technical director from Mercedes. They, they, they didn't have a big input on last year's car and also the, the, simulation, the simulation tools led them astray with uh, what the requirements were going to be for the, the new generation of ground effect Formula One car. So that needs to be way better too, and I'm sure that's, um, that's something that they've been addressing. But, yeah, this is, a big, this is a big season for Aston Martin because you could sort of reason away why it had such a disappointing season in the, 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 the last year. It was the, the, the new formula came along at just the moment that they were transitioning from being a, a small team to a, a pretty big team and all the reorganisation and recruitment and put, putting people together that hadn't worked together before that entails. But, you know, they've had a year now to be working together and to understand where the limitations were. And they do have all this resource. It's a very well-funded team. It's got a lot of good people there. So that is really a big test. And if it doesn't produce something which is as big as the sum of its parts, then it gets really difficult because then Lawrence Stroll's going to be asking some very awkward questions. Yeah, it becomes very difficult to say what to expect from them because this transition from being an overachieving smaller team to a bigger team is a difficult one because you have to take a few steps back to move those more steps forward in the long term. They're moving into their new factory this year. They've got Fernando Alonso there now as well as a great barometer of what the car can do. So, yeah, it's hard to actually say exactly where they should be at points along the way. But there is a point in a few years' time when they've got into the new factory where the new wind tunnel, which is going to come online in 2024, is up and running, where that transition period is over. So it's hard to say what they should be doing. But they they really need to be a sharper midfield operation. They at least need to be six best this year. I think that's the minimum acceptable level for that team. Yeah, it's such a tough process when you're changing so many parts all at once in a staggered way and you have to do that. Um, Big ambitions, but meshing all those egos together, different ways of working, coming up with the best one while transitioning to new facilities, while trying to make sure you're developing and adding performance to the short term this year's or next year's car, trying to step up the grid, new driver coming in, very demanding personality, another uh, unknown into the mix. Um, so yeah, a lot of pressure there. Um, such a, such a tough 
thing to go through um, and big expectations as well. So it's not like you can you can just have a you know relaxed five year run at it and just let everybody kind of feel their way. You know the, the demand is there, like you say, Lawrence Stroll is is not going to be waiting forever. Um, the only thing I would add is um, on a slightly different note. I'd like to see an improvement from that team in terms of Lance Stroll's on track etiquette as well, because I felt a few too many times last year that he was taking some questionable liberties in wheel to wheel battle. Um, obviously, there was a big accident with his new teammate um, in the US Grand Prix, but some other quite marginal incidents that could have been quite dangerous. Um, so I think somebody, probably uh, Lawrence, needs to have a word with the boy and um, ask him to calm down a bit sometimes. Yeah, into Lagos when he squeezed Sebastian Vettel, his uh, his current teammates <laughs> as well stands out. So he had an incident with his future teammate and his current teammate over the span of a few late season uh, races. So yeah, obviously for Aston Martin, this is the first car that's been overseen from inception by Dan Fallows, who came in from Red Bull as technical director. He says he's overseen that project from scratch. So it's also a, a, a clear test in that regard. That's one area of the transition that is now complete, even if its facilities aren't fully up and running in that regard. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to talk about Alfa Romeo now. I'll kick off on this because in 2022, obviously, they started well. Long, dry mid-season spell. Did pick up the pace and become a Q3 car late in the year thanks to some upgrades. And the big problem there that the team kept talking about was just the turnaround in terms of getting design parts onto the car. It's invested in beefing up that production capability to shorten that time. That includes recruitment as well, so personnel are coming in as well as beefing up facilities. It's something that's become really important in Formula One. The game's been just relentlessly pushed on in this regard by the big teams over the past 10, 15 years, and it does have a big impact on performance because it obviously becomes a almost a virtuous circle. The quicker you get parts onto the car, the quicker you understand where it is there, the quicker you can build on that. So you get into this big acceleration. Obviously, they scored most of their points up to and including Canada last year and then they're only a few points here and there for the rest of the year for various reasons but yeah they need to keep that performance up and they obviously struggled last year a car that was good in low speed struggled a bit more with rear instability in the quicker corners but I think that production facility is essential especially as this is a team that's ramping up to become the Audi strategic partner as they call it although Audi's been buying into the team for 2026 so yeah it's, it's hard to know what to expect from that team Yes, um, as you say, it's it's expanding, it's it's preparing to do what what Aston Martin is, is in the middle of doing, um, going from a, a small team to a pretty big one, and yeah, that always brings its stresses. So I think really in the short term, they've got the, the performance quite respectable level of performance within last year's car, and given that. This year, most people there's there's a regulation tweak, but most people are retaining or expected to retain what are basically the the same basics of their cars, and I think you know that, that that's a reasonable starting point for them. But yeah, it needs to just be accessed better and to to be more reliable. And when you look at 
Sauber, are you taking them seriously as a midfield force? Do you think repeating that sixth place and even the early season form of, of of being up there is realistic? Or do we have to look at this a little bit like an Aston Martin and that it is a team that's still pulling itself out of uh, quite a long, difficult period and ramp up towards 2026, which is still quite a few years away? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And also they're coming from further back because that team as Sauber reached a much lower point, I know, Lawrence Stroll bought out Force India, you know, when it was in financial trouble, but the performance of the team and the, the basic setup there was more advanced in terms of season to season performance than Sauber was. And as Mark says, it's a stressful, big journey. They're starting from much further back than Aston Martin, which is already, you know, well underway in terms of all the various things they're trying to put together to become this, to chase this this almost unicorn of trying to leap out of Formula One's midfield and challenge the big three teams. I feel like it's such a difficult thing to do when, as you say, the the game in terms of in-season development has become more compressed, more challenging. There's not so much testing, not so much real-world data to work with. Simulations become so important. Even the big teams struggle with that sometimes and getting everything correlated. If you're a a smaller team that's lacked investment for a long time, how do you catch up with all the computing power as well as the manpower, the understanding, the innovation that you need within those factories to to be modelling things better so that when you put those parts on the car, they work straight away. You're not spending... How many times do we see the smaller teams spend race after race with a new update package that they think is going to bring them well forward add however many tenths of a second to the car and they just can't unlock it they go backwards because the simulation tools don't work properly everything doesn't add up and you you waste so much time and so many races trying to work out where you are with it this doesn't happen so much or to the same degree in those big teams and that for me is the the massive challenge those ambitious teams have you, you need investment, sure, and Stroll's providing that for Aston Martin. Audi will provide that for Sauber, but it takes takes so much time, so much time. Yeah, and that's why you need to see some evidence of progress on that score, even at a modest level in the midfield where we're expecting the, the Alpha team to be. Let's move on to McLaren now, Ben. Yes, yeah, so McLaren, for me, I think they just need to produce a car that's more worthy of Lando Norris's talents I feel like he's flattering that team with his performances um, and they're riding on his coattails a bit obviously if Daniel Ricciardo could have performed at or near Norris's level last year they would have been comfortably ahead of Alpine they're hoping that Oscar Piastri plugging him in will provide that sticking plaster but you know Norris he it must be exhausting for him uh driving this idiosyncratic car that has such a narrow and peaky performance envelope so hard to access that you need a driver of his caliber to do that um i wondered if he was a bit uh almost almost automatic in the way he was doing things you know daniel ricardo made this point that he doesn't know any better he's only driven mclaren so therefore it was perhaps easier for him but the fact that Ricardo later admitted that Norris could feel things in the car that he couldn't suggested to me that Norris is, you know, got an, Mark will know this much better because he's written um, many interesting articles about this. Norris must have this, this level of feel 
this link between his backside and his inner ear and uh, his his mentality that you know he can do things that even a driver as good as Daniel Ricciardo can't do. Um, if you gave him a better car, he would have so much more spare capacity to do other things, uh, score points, bigger points more regularly and, and lift McLaren up the grid. I, I was really disappointed with the step back they took from 2021 to 2022. And I feel like when we're talking about these other ambitious teams that are investing in their infrastructure and, and bringing on big heavyweight partners to try and lift them forward, McLaren just seems to be a bit stuck again. Um, and I just don't see, I know they've got infrastructure investment coming on, but they've had a tough time financially. And I just, I fear for them that, you know, if they can't find an obvious solution to, to why they fell back. So obviously last year that they are in danger in the next few years of being overtaken. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the main shortfall is an aerodynamic one. Um, they're not, getting their new wind tunnel online in time for this car. So um, they've identified where the problem is, but not necessarily where it's coming from, if you see, if you see what I mean. There's there's limitations in the, the last two cars were, were, were slightly different, but they still arose from a basic aero shortfall. And it's not performing on track the way it, it, the, the tunnel suggested it, it, it would. Um and yeah, Lando gets around that because he's just much more um, attuned to that that transition in the the corner where you get in the rotation, the initial rotation on the car. He can just much better manipulate dynamically where the weight is on each corner, and has a better feel for that. And that's you know that's what separates the great guys from the the good guys. And um, I think he is potentially one of the the absolute elite drivers. May may well or already be performing at that level. And and that's why it's uh, a bit frustrating that um, he's there at McLaren as they're going through this um, this long period of, of transition, hopefully a transition to um, becoming a, a top team once more. But um, I, yeah, I'm not I'm not optimistic. I, I'd love to be wrong, but I'm not optimistic that they're going to bounce back with this great car in 23. I think it may be a, bit, a little bit longer than that. I think that's very likely to be the case. It's why I said on our recent podcast about who has something to prove and said Norris is probably the one that doesn't. It isn't that there aren't things he still needs to do. It's just that McLaren are going to be in a very similar place. And so the available things for him to prove are the same things he's already proved already time and time again. But they've talked about the fact they've struggled to adapt to the tyres, that kind of sharp turn in the fact they give up grips sort of disproportionately as you wind the lock on and the aero characteristics of the car don't mitigate that. So that that's the big concern. I think... McLaren, I'm not expecting to be up in the front group at, at this moment. So from that perspective, that's fine. They've got the new wind tunnel coming in, the infrastructure developments, et cetera, et cetera. The wind tunnel will come online this year if all goes uh, as expected. So that's the areas that unlocked the potential for it to kind of bridge across to that lead group. But the other dimension is they're not quite making the most of what they've got. And that aero understanding is the key area. So that's why I think it's important to see them not, jumping forward but they should really be right at the front of the mid-pack as they were last year but also they just need to have a car that's working a bit better and doesn't have those strange vices should we move on to Alpine now Mark who of course beat McLaren to fourth in the championship last year yeah I feel that Alpine have actually got um, a more realistic 
prospect of bridging that gap to the top teams than McLaren, even though they're quite closely matched for the last couple of years. Um, I, but if they have a, a, a short-term target for this year, it's got to be to improve the reliability, especially regarding the the power unit, because that's that really badly let them down last year, particularly on Alonso's side of the garage. So, yeah, that's the, the short-term thing. I think they're quite capable of continuing to progress towards that um, the, that top team territory and um, understanding where they the can chip away at, at, that, um, at, at that, that gap. Uh, they, they do seem to be, at least now or last season, progressing steadily in a, in a direction, whereas previously it was a little bit more up and down. They do seem now to be on a path. But yeah, I would say that the um, the reliability is uh, is got to be has got to be uh, the, the main target while that process is also going on. And um, yeah, I know we, we just want to talk about one main category, but I would say also just to sneak in uh, an obvious challenge is going to be to get the two drivers to work productively together because they've got a. They've got a bad history together, and so uh, they've been brought together and uh, getting them to work productively as a pair, I think, is, is going to be very important. I'm sure that's something that's, that's been made very clear to them. That's okay, Mark. I think I said about three things for Haas. So with two, you're sneaking well under my cheat. Um, the only thing I would, would add with Alpine, I feel like you know we've talked a lot about teams in that midfield bracket that have big plans or have infrastructure coming on stream or may come good in a year or two or three or more's time if all the things they hope to do come together and and the investment is there. Alpine, to me, they feel like the team that's gone through that pain already and are now coming out the other side. And they seem like they have the most coherent plan within the midfield group and maybe the most coherent understanding of where they're at and how all the different parts fit together. I feel like the technical team with Pat Fry and Matt Harmon is, has got proper leadership there. It's, it seems to be working harmoniously. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. Um, even with the reliability on the, on the engine, there was just a strategic choice there to, to go aggressive on redesigning that engine to catch up what has been you know, a, a clear deficit for many seasons. They seem to have done that. And providing they haven't boxed themselves into a corner where they can't engineer in the reliability, from what they've been saying, it seems like a lot of the problems are annoying ancillary parts, not something fundamental where you think, oh, no, we're locked in and we're doomed. So I feel like they could, they could do it. It's, it's still such a big leap to go from where they are to you know properly fighting with the, the big three. Obviously, Mercedes were underperforming last year, so it gives you maybe a false impression slightly. But they, they seem like they have the the least road to travel, and they just need to keep everything together, keep everything stable, keep chipping away, and obviously, as Mark says, just make sure that the loss of Alonso, which is a big loss to any team in terms of driver performance, is mitigated by the two young chargers coming together and working together properly. They are perhaps the one team, other than maybe Red Bull that you can just look at going into this year and say, yeah, they just need to get a little bit better at everything because they've got everything to quite a nice level. I do like the fact they seem to have a good understanding of the car. Most of the time when they brought new parts, which they did pretty regularly last year, they were working. So 
it's very, very encouraging for all the fact that the sideshow with the Piastri stuff made Alpine look pretty stupid, and rightly so, given how they handled some of that, actually, as a team, working very, very nicely. So that's encouraging for, for Alpine. I think we're still looking at longer term for them to join that that top group, but had they had reliability last year, and it's not just retirements, it was reliability problems that kicked in at other times. Ocon at Silverstone in qualifying is one that springs to mind. Alonso not starting the sprint in Austria. Things that don't show up as Grand Prix retirements had an impact as well. So, yeah, that, that's the area where they can massively increase their points yield there. So an interesting uh, an interesting position for Alpine to be in because that team's been at the front of the midfield and we've talked about, right, can it make that stride forward? We were talking about that after 2018, weren't we? And it just regressed and, and didn't do that. So this is now a team that's at that staging point and should have what it needs in place to at least start to edge its way further forward. And we should say also they're a manufacturer team. So as much as we can be positive and say, yeah, we feel good about Alpine and they have the best chance of breaking out of the midfield. They shouldn't be there, given their setup. You know, they should be in that group. It should be a big four, not a big three with Alpine hanging off the back. So um, it's good to see that that project is coming together, but it's it's well past due that it does that. Yeah, 100%. What they did last year was good for the place in the process they are but if they're still there in four years time then it's a failure it's just part of a wider picture of failure so we need to see how it's uh, how it plays out over the coming years but yeah in a nice position that team victorinox the makers of the original swiss army knife have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges mastering functionality innovation iconic design and uncompromising quality with its products The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, let's move on to the top three now. These are the ones that we're expecting to be there fighting for the championship. Obviously, Mercedes is top of that list, which I'll delve into. And obviously, we've spoken about their problems at length on this podcast. It was one of the big talking points of last year. 
don't need to go over them too much, but in basic terms, a more usable car, they need to not suffer from porpoising, not try to run at impossible ride heights, and, and avoids that problem of lots of hypothetical downforce that can't be delivered consistently. And they work through a lot of that. The key factor that will decide whether or not Mercedes is at the level it should be which is in championship contention, is whether or not the design tools have been adapted and evolved to avoid these problems, because it's those tools that led them there. So this is all the simulation tools used to design the car, basically, particularly on the aero side, and therefore ensure that the car concept's right. And simulations, they're imperfect, aren't they? That's why teams use multiple different tools, wind tunnel, CFD, all sorts of other simulations and models they use in various forms, whether they're entirely digital or physical tools. And you hope that the aggregate of them gives you a reasonable picture of what's going on. And Mercedes did get very good at predicting car performance in the second half of last year. They had their table of doom, as Toto Wolff kept calling it. So they understood that. But of course, that modelling capability was built up with real-world running. And the W14 needs to work decently straight out of the box based on those simulation tools. They can't go into troubleshooting mode. They need to show that they've learned the lessons of last year because 2022 was this huge experiment, this huge laboratory for Mercedes, and it should have given it all the experience and data it needs to sharpen the systems. But we won't know that, they won't know that until the real world car works and they will hope correlates reasonably well and correlation is never perfect with simulations. Simulations are imperfect and the real world has so many variables that that come together. It'll be a big relief for Mercedes if that car hits the track and works as expected because then... They should really be back in the game, shouldn't they, Mark? That will be quite a pressure moment for them, just hoping that when they first presumably run it on a shakedown promotional day, that it's doing what it should be. Yeah, I'm actually quite optimistic that they're going to be in the ballpark. Um, by ballpark for Mercedes, as you say, it means being in a position to fight for a championship. Because basically, the, 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 although there were many um, symptoms of, uh, of, of the problem last year, it, it basically came down to one and which is that mechanically it, it what didn't have an appropriate design to what the aero turned out to be rather than what they expected the aero to be um and the onset of porpoising completely changed what the uh <laughs> the mechanical requirements were but they were locked in because of the the, the, the whole tightness of the rear rear end design and where the mounting points were for the suspension etc cetera, etc cetera. so you it, it then had to be run very very stiff it then wasn't giving as much underbody performance as had been um, predicted. Therefore, they had to put big wings on it. Therefore, it was too draggy and et cetera, et cetera. So they, 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 they all, lots of different problems, but all originating pretty much from the, the, the one place. So um, given that that was the hard point that they couldn't sort of get around and that it seems to have been well understood, I, I don't see why they won't be somewhere in the ballpark. Uh, but obviously, you know, Red Bull and Ferrari are starting from a higher place, so you, you've got you've got all that to catch up and whatever they've they've found as well. So it's not easy, but I think um, I, I'm optimistic that will be somewhere in in the in the in the leading picture. I think it will be comforting to Mercedes fans to hear that explanation from Mark, a logical progression back to the source, knowing exactly why a really poor season came to be so poor. But I want to ask a question about the root of that because Mercedes is a team, Total Wolf's talked about it before, that's tried to structure itself so that it's not too dependent on certain people. 
Um, so it can just transition through when people move on. And there's been a lot of personnel change there over the last few years. Some big, heavy-hitting names who were instrumental in their record success, moving upstairs or moving on completely. So was what happened last year partly related to that? We've seen many teams struggle with this. It's, it happened with Red Bull when Adrian Yu was less interested for a long time. Or is it just that the the struggle of the title fight the year before and how late into the season that went? Bearing in mind, actually, Mercedes, they did say they switched off development quite early, nevertheless. Did that play a part in distracting them a little bit from this new rule set? Um, and therefore they can just say, yeah, actually, we've got everything we need. The people are working perfectly. It's just an anomaly. I think I'd probably put it down to the scenario that you do see playing out historically on occasion. A completely new rule set inevitably changes the game. So there's potential for you to fall into more holes. And quite often you get a team that's really well refined around a rule set, as Mercedes ultimately was. It won 15 out of 16 available championships over the previous eight seasons you're so attuned and refined and you've absolutely nailed that regime that sometimes just the change of parameters can can cause you to trip up I guess Williams in 94 was a good example of this it was so well optimized around the active ride in particular that when things changed in 94 it threw them a little bit of a curveball there were new challenges that they had to solve they solved them fairly quickly admittedly but that's kind of how I see it. I don't necessarily... Yes, it does reflect a weakness in a the team. They could have done a lot better because other all the other teams pretty much, maybe with the exception of Aston Martin, had less of a problem. But given it's such a difficult thing to simulate, I can certainly see a scenario where that's a complete one-off that doesn't necessarily reveal anything fundamentally flawed about that team. What, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to know without being inside what what triggered it. But I'm, I'm sure you're right that it's um, the the regulation change was the, the big part, and they they then made an extremely ambitious um, route aerodynamically to um, to to maximising these regulations, and one one that turned out was overly optimistic and and hadn't anticipated the the limitations of of that approach. Um, so this is a yeah this this opportunity to uh, correct that and uh, to do a reset should tell us quite a lot. And actually, you've reminded me of something I should have said as well. In that, when you have a team that's so used to success and that drives the aero possibilities of a car so hard for so long, you're always if you're getting the most out of the car aero-wise, quite on the edge, aren't you? You want to sit just inside that limit and be sat right on the edge of how hard you're working, all the aero surfaces, all the underfoot, etc. And so sometimes if you're a team that has that approach and that mentality, you're more prone to tripping up as well. And again, it's not about making excuses. for If Mercedes struggles this year and uh, they haven't corrected the problems, then it does point to a wider malaise because they should have got everything they needed last year to fix it. But yeah, I think that's another factor that, that played a part. So... It is a big test for Mercedes, and that's why I think even though they'll have a certain level of confidence, they they will be nervous. I think they'll all breathe a sigh of relief when the car kind of operates as expected and does what it should do, because that will validate the work they've done. Let's move on to Ferrari now, Ben. <laughs> Ferrari. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things you could choose <laughs> uh, with Ferrari. Um, tough to pick one, but I'm going to go um, with engine reliability 
And the reason I've prioritized that over the other aspects is I feel like that if they can engineer in the reliability and run their power unit at the levels we saw in the early part of the season, up to the point where Charles Leclerc's let go when he was dominating the Spanish Grand Prix and all the, the domino effect that followed from that, it just makes your life so much easier. Um, you know, you can access more power without worrying that you're going to lose the race, obviously, or um, s- subsequent races to engine penalties. That's obvious. But also just in terms of how you operate the car, how much wing you can run, uh, the knock-on effect for tyre life because you're not asking the driver to overextend, um, which was happening, I think, a few times later in the season. So I feel like a lot of Ferrari's on-track problems stem from that need to run their power unit in less than ideal settings in order just to survive. So if they can correct that, they have a better season automatically. If you try and transpose that back to last year, the title fight, you know, is very much alive after the French Grand Prix if Leclerc is able to drive within himself and not spin off in that race rather than being basically a distant dream by that point and Max Verstappen even admitting later at that point he felt like it was his to lose. Uh, And then if the engine is what it should be, Fred Vasseur as incoming team principal can spend his time not worrying about that and he can start to look at the various other elements of Ferrari's operation that need sharpening up. I'd also say that the engine reliability has the potential to tackle one of the areas in the performance profile that was concerning last year, which is the fact that the car was a better qualifier than it was race car. Because, Mark, obviously you can work the engine a little bit harder in races. That was obviously a bit of a limiting factor, certainly when they were containing problems later in the year. So it does become, again, one of those virtuous circles, isn't it? Is that reliability, yeah, that improves your chance of getting to the finish, but it actually has an impact on so many other aspects of weaknesses that made Ferrari not a contender for the title last year. Yeah, well, the reliability level determines the performance that you can extract from from it. Um, and there's reportedly been quite a, a good breakthrough there with the years age, which was the limiting factor um, of, of journey during the off-season, or actually right from post-Baku last season, going all, th- all the way through this season. Um, that's how long it's taken to um, find what is hopefully a solution. And that will then hopefully release the um, latent performance that's in the power unit. But what performance in turn allows you to do is is um, make the operations more straightforward and make the strategies more straightforward and what you're trying to do when you're just scratching stretching up to something that's not quite there on performance is is that that creates the the pressure to try and rescue things through strategy calls that that, that, that introduces the more potential for um, bad calls but that's not the sole reason why the the, the operations weren't as, as they should be, and that that's that's something that needs to be tackled and as a as a, an issue in itself. And that's um, you know that that's something that Freddie will, I'm sure, be making um a, 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 you know on a on a on a, sh- a very short short list to attend to and, uh, as as a first step. I think also uh, more widely. I remember outgoing team principal Mattia Bonotto talking about how um, Ferrari's in-season development didn't uh, didn't track very well 
compared to Mercedes and Red Bull. And obviously Red Bull made their car stronger through the season, much stronger. And also interestingly, he said that they didn't really have the budget to do it either. So that suggests that on the accounting side and working within the new financial limitations and the budget cap, Ferrari has some work to do in terms of efficiency there because they should be in a position to develop their car better than they did. Although obviously it started at a very high point and the fear you'd have if they can't correct that is that teams as strong as Red Bull and Mercedes will just outdevelop them as the seasons go past and they'll slip back. So some work to do away from the the pure operations and race side of the team as well, I think. Yeah, I think I mean, the, 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 the development costs um, also can you can trace back to the reliability as well because it, you know the, the the development plan would have been based around a level of en- engine performance which it turned out they didn't have not once you know once it got past Baku and realized I had to turn it down so you're then starting again almost saying all oh, right so this is the power that we've got this is the the power characteristic how do we maximize these and it's quite different to uh, what it would be if you had another 30 horsepower. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> yeah, it's very it's, it's a common theme. And it puts Ferrari in a strange position because, as you've pointed out a few times before on this podcast, Mark, they did the really difficult bit of having a car that worked well aero-wise and its other limitations, kind of all the other limitations that are rattling around there that were the problem. So assuming Ferrari has a pretty good car aero-wise this year, and I see no reason why they wouldn't, that means it is one of those years that could go either way. There's going to be a lot of questions if they do have reliability problems and operational problems. But if things start to come together, then it then there's big gains to be made because they've got that car pace to exploit. Let's move on to the tenth and final team now, Red Bull. Mark, could you find anything that they actually need to do given they had one of the more dominant seasons in F1 history last year? Just keep doing what they were doing. <laughs> but of course, the, the the big challenge, I think. Um, is quite high up and it's the passing of um, Dietrich Masic, which means that uh, we've yet to see how the team is going to function. You know, um, he's been replaced by, I think, three different people at a, at a corporate level, one of which has taken responsibility for the F1 team. But why that team works so well is because he, he just provided the, the budget and, and kept out of it and left everybody to do what they were so good at doing and it's it's a very quite a simple racing team and in many ways simpler than a lot of teams that achieve and far less so um that's been its key to allow it to function so well and to allow the creative people to be creative and for people there to 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 be you know um happy and satisfied in 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 their work so if the new management decides to be a bit more hands-on, how is that going to impact upon upon that? And I, I think really, um, if 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 they're wise, they will probably not do very much other than just observe, um, because I think it's a, it's a fabulous team and it's 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 probably the best the team has ever been. Actually, this this, this team is, I think even better than what it was in the um the the Sebastian Vettel era in terms of its competency and its its excellence throughout all the all the different departments and, and areas and and how it works together. And um I think, you know, if you you take any one piece of it out, it, it still sort of functions quite well and it, you can move things around and it still it still works incredibly well. And that that's you know, Adrian Newey should take a lot of the 
the credit for that in terms of what he's built up over the years and um, in, in, in technical terms, but um, so should Christian Horner and, and keeping the whole thing managed and running sweetly. And uh, I, I think you sort of mess with that at your peril. Yeah, and they've got that interesting extra bit of management this year in terms of the ATR limitations. They already had the least in terms of CFD and wind tunnel time. So how they deal with the extra 10% of the original notional amount you can get step as a result of the cost cap infringement creates a little bit of an extra dimension and fundamentally it will have an impact because it can't not have an impact because that's your bread and butter in terms of development so it just creates an extra little challenge for for Red Bull to face and I guess Ben how much pressure Red Bull's put under in terms of that well not just that but everything that Mark talks about is also dictated partly by what Mercedes and Ferrari do, doesn't it? Because it's easy to be serene and everything going well when you've got an advantage. And Ferrari certainly made it easy for Red Bull last year with how they used their car operationally and the reliability problems. And Mercedes obviously took themselves out of being much of a factor for Red Bull for a big chunk of the season. So that is quite a dynamic and fluid situation for Red Bull. Yeah, they'll be quite relaxed as things stand because Ferrari were quite shambolic, even though they started the season with a with a f- objectively faster car, and Mercedes were nowhere. If Mercedes fixes all its problems in one fell swoop, and Ferrari's engine is as strong as the noises coming out of Maranello suggest, then suddenly that puts Red Bull under a bit more pressure again. They front-loaded a lot of development on the on the new car. I think they were quite aggressive in the way, and had to be, in the way they upgraded the car last year, obviously trying to shed the weight. Very fast race car. It's, Spa was like another world, wasn't it? So I feel like they've got a decent inherent advantage now that they can fall back on. Um, but yeah, all the pressure for them, as you say, comes from from behind, but they can't rest on their laurels. They, you know, they need to keep pushing forward I suppose in terms of all the departments and how well they work together the one question you would ask is accounting uh, quite obviously because that's why they've ended up in the situation where they have you know um, an extra ATR restriction Um, they need to fix that because you know regardless of whether they ultimately you get away with breaching the cost cap or get off lightly let's say it's a really bad look for that team you know it's spoiled um championship coronation really um so they need they do need to fix that and on a micro level i would say also they need to get more out of sergio perez um you know started the season well finished the season okay but a massive period in the middle up to singapore where he was just not performing at a high enough level you know he was arguably worse well not even arguably i think objectively worse compared to his teammate than daniel ricardo was compared to lando norris during that that run of races quite a long run of races uh, and if the championship fight becomes more marginal because Ferrari do get their act together and Mercedes do get their act together, Red Bull can't afford for Perez to be languishing as far off Max Verstappen as, as he was for for much of last season. And I guess Red Bull sums up what we talked about with all these teams. They all need to keep improving, keep getting better because you need to make gains even to stand still in this game. 
And if you want to make progress forward, you've got to make bigger gains than those around you. So that's the challenge in broad terms for absolutely everyone. Thanks very much, Mark Hughes and Ben Anderson, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there as there's plenty of news in the world of F1 and also in the various other championships that we cover. Listen to our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and our Formula E podcast, IndyCar podcast, MotoGP as well. And take a look at our YouTube channel as well if video is your thing. Well, the F1 world certainly isn't sleeping through January. We're pushing on towards the launches, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.